the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, what really is ever on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. And I sort of misled you a little bit yesterday all of our email problems aren't resolved yet. My personal emails are working okay. I'm not sure about the questions at Calvary SA. You can try it. We'll get it next week. But in the meantime, uh, it would be much better if you just pick up the phone and call. You can also send questions in by using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. All of our kids got back from camp. Everybody was safe and uh, had a great time. Uh, so thank you for your prayers. Uh, tonight here at the church, I'm going to be finishing the book. Believe it or not, we're going to be finishing um, Galatians, the last few verses in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, next week, I'm going to teach uh, the book of Philemon. And then the following week after that, we're going to be at, at uh, uh, our men's our retreat. And so we won't have a Friday night that night. Then we're going to start doing a little bit of something new on Friday nights, but we'll have a couple of new books that we're getting ready into more on that at another time. Sunday, I'm going to be teaching in the Book of Acts here at Calvary Chapel. We have three morning services, 8.30, 10.15, and 11.59. Okay, let's get to some questions uh, that have been sent in, and we'll wait for your phone calls. Uh, Devon says, does a pastor having unbelieving teenagers disqualify him from the ministry? Devon, no, it doesn't. You know, one of the things that we uh, we have to understand is that nobody's responsible for the individual choices somebody else makes. Now, the pastor is responsible for dealing with the children's disobedience, if that's the case, in a godly way. In other words, he's got to manage his household well, but you can't make anybody believe. That's a decision that has to be made individually for each and every one of us. Um, so if a pastor's children are, are not following the Lord, uh, then um, his responsibility is to make sure that they're in church. His responsibility is to make sure that there's still family prayer and devotion going on uh, in the home, whether the kids like it or not isn't the issue. But his responsibility, and I would add the responsibility of every parent, is to give your children what they need, even if they don't want it. 
and if they're able to just do what they want instead of of managing his household well, then I would say uh, we have a question about whether or not he is uh, any longer qualified uh, in the ministry. I know a lot of wonderful pastors. They have some children that are following the Lord with all their heart and others that aren't following God at all. But one of the things, Devon, we always need to remember is that each individual person has to make his or her own choice. And while, again, a, a pastor can hope and a pastor can pray and a pastor raises his kids up to love Jesus and, and, and follow uh, the Lord, but but ultimately making that decision has to be made by them. So, no, uh, he is not disqualified from the ministry. Uh, he would only be disqualified from the ministry if his house was a a, a mess, if, if there was no um, discipline, uh, if if um, children were openly living unholy lives and the parents did nothing about it, then that would disqualify a pastor from uh, from his position uh, in ministry, at least until he got his house back in order. I think it's one of the things, Devon, that we uh, we don't spend enough time uh, or emphasis on our homes, whether you're a pastor or just a Christian uh, coming to church. Uh, we need to be sure that our homes honor the Lord. And it's up to the parents. It is, I'm going to say that again. It's up to the parents to tell the kids what they're going to do. We don't give kids a choice. Do you want to go to church? Do you want to read the Bible with us? No, they follow the rules. They're guests in your home. Uh, you're paying the rent. You're buying the food. Uh, most of the time, you're providing the, the cell phones and, 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 and paying their bills. Um, but their response to you has to be obedience. Uh, again, it can be begrudged obedience. That doesn't matter. But it's up to the parent to say, this is Jesus' home, and in this home we're going to do things the way Jesus wants to. You know, one of the things, and there's a lot of heartbreak that goes on with teenage kids, obviously. But one of the things as parents we've got to remember is if you've got a 15-year-old, you've got a 14-year-old, uh, there's only four, uh, three or four years left uh, that they're really going to be under your control. And you've got to maximize that time. And that's why we ought to be living our lives consistently before the Lord. That's why we've got to be praying constantly for our kids, setting a good example for them to follow. Uh, why we've got to be disciplining them when they don't do uh, the right things um, because those three or four years are going to pass by so quickly. And um, you're gonna, at least going to be able to say, uh, you did everything you could. One of the things I tell my pastors, especially here, Devon, is that uh, if your kids don't follow the Lord, make sure that it's not your fault. And that's the best that we can do. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end he will not depart. doesn't mean that he's going to believe or she's going to believe right away. It just means that they will always know. If, if the parents are consistent, they will always know that there's a place they can come and find safety and peace, and that's in the home of Jesus Christ. And a lot of kids come back to the faith uh, for uh, that very reason. When things don't work out the way they thought they would, they know there's a safe place, a good place, a steady place to go. Thank you for that. Um, okay, I've just got a note from our producer. Our questions at Calvary Essay Account is now up and receiving emails. Praise the Lord. Thank you for that. Here is an anonymous question. If a brother in my church has been disciplined and put out of the church for willful sin, is it okay to still hang out with him? Anonymous, the answer is no. And you knew the answer to that question when you wrote the question. I want you to think about this. If the church has put somebody under discipline, we're removing them out from under the cover of the church. And the cover of the church doesn't really mean a lot in 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 our culture. But the idea here is we're we're not allowing them to pretend anymore. And and people that are willfully sinning and they still want to pretend they're Christians, they still want to hang around with their Christian friends, there's got to be a consequence to their sin. In First Corinthians chapter five, Paul says, uh, put the man out. A man was guilty of an egregious sin and the people in Corinth knew it, and some were even bragging about it. I always 
presume that this guy was an influential person or a big giver and nobody wanted to rock the boat with impulses. I've already handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul may be saved on that day, speaking of the day of judgment. Put him out, he said. Now, while that sounds really harsh to us, um, the, the, the point is that we're trying to make that person have to wrestle with Jesus. The guy or the, the woman who's a professing Christian and rebelling against God, I promise you the Holy Spirit is going to chase that person down. And that's what we want to do. Now, if your friend, uh, you call him a brother, you know, if he's a brother and it's a willful sin, how do you know that? Do you want him in heaven? And if this man uh, is a brother, or he says he's a brother, then you should be able to say, look, I'd love to hang out with you. I love you with all my heart, but I can't hang out with people that profess to be Christians who are living the way you're living. Paul writes, have nothing to do with them. And and, and we've got to have enough faith to understand that's what God wants us to do. Now, it may cost you a friendship, but that's okay. God's got your back because he knows your heart. But it is just an amazing thing to me, Anonymous, that that we would just care more about maintaining a friendship than we would about that person's eternal soul. And that would point you out, in this case, as not a very good friend. You know, church discipline is so difficult in our church culture. It wasn't so difficult in the early church because in the early church, everybody was very serious about their walk with the Lord. And if people did those things, they would put them out. And it wasn't a, a, a mean thing or a spiteful thing. It was it was simply a, we want that brother saved. In our church culture, with churches on every corner, people just get in their cars and go to another church. And I've actually had to do this a couple times where we had to discipline people and tell them, look, if you're going to live like this, you can no longer come to this church. As a professing believer, you can no longer come to this church. You're accountable, and your heart is getting harder. And I've had people say, well, well, you're being too harsh. Um, I'm doing what the Bible says. And as a Christian, as a part of your church, then you've got to support the action of the church. Don't fall for the, well, they were mean to me, or they hurt my feelings, or no, the sin is the problem. It always has been, and it always will be. So Anonymous, please understand, your church wants the best for that brother. And if you consider that brother a friend and a brother, then you should want the best for them as well. Here's a question that frustrates me a little bit. So please forgive me in advance. It's from Victor. He says, Charlie Kirk says that pastors are cowards for not speaking out about politics in church. Can I have your thoughts, please? Victor, um, Charlie Kirk is an avowed Christian nationalist. He makes no bones about it. Uh, For him, politics and um, his brand of religion, I'm certain he's a Christian. But he's just so wrong in this area. Pastors are cowards, he says, if we're not talking about politics from the pulpit. Victor, I would tell Charlie Kirk that he has no understanding at all of our job. Our job is to declare Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. Our job, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And how dare a politician, a Christian, probably, But how dare somebody who really has his own agenda, and by the way, he's making a lot of money with his agenda, how dare someone like that judge me and the commission that God has given me based on his very narrow political view of the world that we live in? This world is not our kingdom. Jesus told Peter in restoring him to feed my sheep, to tend my flock, feed my sheep, nowhere in there is, well, you know, there are going to be political issues that you're going to have to take a stand against. Now, make no mistake, Victor, I don't know where you go to church, but if you've been listening to me for any length of time at all, I talk about issues a lot. I do it from a biblical perspective rather than a 
political perspective. That's what teaching the Bible verse by verse enables you to do. But think about this for a moment, Victor. If if people were coming to church, can you imagine getting up on a Sunday morning, excited to come to church, to hear the Bible taught, to hear from the, the Spirit of God himself? Can you imagine how derelict I would be in my duty if instead of giving them Jesus, I gave them Republican politics? That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not our job description. And Charlie Kirk, um, regardless of what he thinks, I have to be faithful to, to the, the, the call Jesus has put in my life. Not what somebody with a, a political agenda, somebody who's making a lot of money off of his political perspective. Um, my job is to give people Jesus. I always think of the, the Greeks that came to Jesus' disciples and, and wanted to see Jesus. And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. And and uh, at that moment, they couldn't, obviously. But um, that's what what we who are pastors ought to keep in mind every time. When people come to church, they're, they're here to see Jesus. They're here to hear from the Lord. They're not to hear Pastor Ron's uh, political perspective. They're not to hear me or any other pastor give them hope that all we have to do is vote a particular way and the world is going to go back to normal again or, or the world is going to be good again. That's not at all what we're supposed to do. Our job is to equip them for a world that, according to the New Testament, is falling apart and things are going to get much, much, much worse. Do I have political opinions? Of course I do. Every pastor does. But our job is to put our opinions to the side and give them Jesus. And there's nothing else that we're to do. And those pastors that are giving people politics instead of giving them Jesus, they're going to stand before the Lord and Jesus is going to say, wait a minute, wasn't I important enough to talk about? Were you ashamed of me? Now I say this, Victor, knowing that the fastest way to build a church if all I wanted was a lot of money in this church or a lot of people in this church, it used to be the fastest way was just to give people what they want. Don't talk about sin. Don't offend them. But today, today in our political climate, and I've got some friends who have done this, the quickest way to grow your church, the quickest way to make sure tons and tons of money is coming in is to be a politically oriented, a politically focused church. And the more right you find yourself leaning, the more popular you're going to be with that group. And they're going to make a lot of noise, and they're going to applaud in the service, and they're going to say a bunch of amens. But you know what? They're going to go home. And they're not going to be able to deal with the world as it really is because we haven't taught them anything about the power of the Holy Spirit. We haven't taught them anything about Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We haven't talked about personal holiness. All we've talked about is our world's falling apart. One other comment on this, Victor. In 2020, when the election was uh, decided, um, um, I'm a conservative person, so uh, certainly wasn't decided uh, with, with any ideological agreement with me. But when the election was decided, those churches that were political, those churches were filled with people whose hopes had been crashed. And it was really sad. And the mood was somber and there was no hope and nobody walking by faith. So what's happened as another election cycle approaches is that we've made these political people have made Christians so angry that now they're all fired up again because now we've got a year until the election and a little more than a year. And, and, uh, you know, we got to fight it over again. We got to win this time. The problem is um, none of that is in the will of God. None of it at all is in the will of God. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have your input. 
Ginny asked the question. Uh, it seems unfair. This is uh, awkward. It seems unfair that there are so many famous people who are rich and successful, even though they don't follow God. Why does God allow that? You know, Jenny, the 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 rich and famous and successful people uh, who don't follow God, uh, this is the best that's ever going to be for them. This is the best it's ever going to be for them. You know, you and I, we've got eternity with Jesus. We've got a, a, a magnificent heaven waiting for us. We've got new glorified, resurrected bodies waiting for us. But the people that are spending their money here, the people that are rich and successful here, it's the best they're ever going to be. And you know what? The reality is that those people aren't happy. That's why they've been married bunches and bunches of times. That's why they're addicted to drugs or alcohol. That's why uh, they they commit suicide. Uh, that's why their children do these ridiculous things. And I mean, it's just it's just that that's the folly of being rich and successful. We who are not rich and maybe not successful from the world's point of view, you know, we we don't have the things that they have, but we've got a peace with God. And because we made peace with God, we have the peace of God. And these people, Jenny, are not, um, they're not satisfied. They're not living uh, rich lives. I don't mean that materially, because obviously they are. Uh, but the reality is, uh, is that they're, they're, they're miserable inside. Since we were created to worship God, we're created to live our lives for or toward God. They're doing exactly the opposite of what would truly satisfy. Eugenie, Psalm 73 is a, a, a good place for you to go and read that. Uh, because the psalmist there said basically the same thing. Surely God is good to Israel, the psalmist wrote. But as for me, my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. To them, to him, it looked like their lives had no problems, you know, the day-to-day struggles that, that he had to endure. The people who wanted nothing to do with God, it just appeared to him like life was going on and everything was great. Now, we know that's not true, but it's easy to forget. And, Jenny, it appears that, that you've forgotten that. When they've got a problem, they've got to go through it alone. When you and I are struggling with something, Jesus is right there with us. So why does God allow it? Well, why wouldn't he allow it? we got a lot of talented people. I always dream about what it would be like if I was born seven feet tall and I could play basketball and I could make $50 million or $60 million a year. But you know what? I wouldn't trade my life for theirs, not even a little bit. Jenny, you got to look up instead of look out. The Bible says that God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You know, we call that common grace. It's a theological term. There are good things that happen that, that is a result from God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Um, when that happens, because God loves those people, Jenny. He blesses them. Now, he holds them accountable. And they're going to answer to him. Much is given, much is required. But the reality is, uh, rather than envy them, to make them an object of prayer. When you get to be my age and you grow up with people that are really famous and were really impactful in the world that I grew up in and now they're just old and dying or dead already and nobody remembers. I asked one of the kids at the high school about uh, if they said something about Bob Hope and they ask me, who's Bob Hope? Well, Bob Hope was a giant when I grew up. But see, that's the thing. Nobody remembers. They just die. But you and I, Jenny, we live. 
So rather than look out, look up and count your blessings. And it it appears that your focus is too much on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And I can tell you, we have been given wonderful, wonderful gifts and blessings from the Lord. And all we need to do is be grateful for those. And Jenny, to ask this question, you're not living a life that's filled with gratitude. So pray for the rich and successful, and maybe they will follow God. And the truth is, a lot of those people are getting saved as we get closer and closer to the end. Thank you for the question, Jenny. Hey, our phones are quiet. We would love your calls, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. We're at the end of the first half hour of our program. Doesn't it seem like Friday comes quickly? My goodness, we're at the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Once more, 340-9585. I'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, 340-9585. Quick reminder, tonight I'm going to be finishing uh, the book of Galatians here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I always love it. When we get done, I get to say, um, Lord, today we finished, we've read a, as a group, another whole book of your Bible. I just think Jesus smiles from ear to ear when we get that. I feel such a sense of accomplishment when we get the, to the place that we are tonight. Here's a question from Lupe. Uh, she says, my husband thinks that faith is a result of our environment and anything that anyone has been taught will be honored by God. How can I speak to him about this? Um, Lupi, it appears that your your husband is an unbeliever. Uh, certainly this isn't something that a Christian can, can rightly think. Um, and so um, what you can do is just wrestle, let, tell him to wrestle with the Bible. Tell him, that, you know, this decision or this, this thing that you say you believe is so important. What if you're wrong? And the Bible says, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If that was not the case, Lupe, Jesus didn't have to die. If that is not the case, then he died completely in vain. And our faith is useless. And so, you know, there are extremes you could go to if anybody grew up in a home where stealing or conning people, or or sexual immorality. That's what they were taught. Is God going to honor that? Why do we take spiritual things and make it appear that anything that we believe is okay? I can say this, Loopy. Anybody who claims to serve a God, let's just say somebody was raised as a Muslim, um, they better find out if the one that they worship as God really is God. That's that's incumbent personally on every single one of us. So if I believe that Buddha is God or I believe that Allah is God, I better be sure. And the same thing is true for us, Lupe. If I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son, I better have evidence. I better be able to prove that. Biblically, I better be able to prove that with evidence. And of course, as Christians, we can. And the reason we can is because there is an empty tomb that keeps shouting, Jesus is real and the only way to the Father. So tell your husband that he's in danger of spending eternity separated from God. So he better be sure. He better be sure. And then pray for him, of course. Live your life full of joy with the Lord. And and pray for him continually. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Um, this, this is going to be kind of scrambled up, but you're pretty good at unscrambling my stuff for me. <laughs> so, 
I understand that we are being built into a spiritual building, and I'm wondering about, like, okay, fast forward to when the New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, if we're part of that structural building, and yet we're still who we are wandering around, but then go backwards to the millennium, and is the building still being built, and, and we're not really that, that full building yet, so we're who we are kind of wandering around doing what we do? I, I hope you can figure this out. And Oh, and the other question was, <laughs> when it says that the, the city is uh, prepared as a bride, is that kind of like our final wedding kind of thing? Anyways, I'm going to get off the phone and, and leave this with you to, to untangle. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. The building is the church. That's, that's what it's not a, a literal building. But, but God is building a church. Ephesians 2, Jew and Gentile becoming one. An unthinkable thought in the days that Jesus was walking the earth and then early in the first century church. So that's the building. It's, it's, it's a metaphor for a, a group of people. Now, uh, it appears as though, uh, sort of like, like the freeways in Texas, uh, the church is always under construction. So it is being built as more and more people come in to the church. Uh, the church is being built, um, but but it's just pieces being added to the church. Uh, but the building uh, that is being referred to there is the church. Um, we live in this dispensation of grace, uh, and we're the building that's being referred to there. Now, I forgot her second part of the question. Okay, going back in time uh, during the millennium. Um, um, one of the things we have to understand is is the prophetic nature of, of these statements. When the new Jerusalem comes down, um, prepared as a bride, that doesn't mean that it has anything to do with a wedding. Um, what it is is a picture, a word picture, that Jesus is providing for us or the Holy Spirit is providing for us. Um, you know, when, when I do weddings... And that back door opens, you know, the, 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 the groom's party and the bridal parties come forward, the ring bearer and the flower girl, you know, they, they, they're done with their job. And then the back door opens and the bride walks in. She is stunning and beautiful. And that's what the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth is, is prepared for us. And it will be stunning to us, breathtaking. So it's not a real wedding, doesn't have anything to do with the wedding, but, but being prepared as a bride, not being prepared to be a bride. So, so this doesn't have anything to do with us. This is a gift. Now, Cindy, the best I can figure out about the new Jerusalem, the, the new heaven, the new earth, is simply uh, that we're going to have access to go back and forth um, to, in any time and anywhere. Uh, those of us who are going to be in heaven, um, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to have a, a perfect, restored, magnificent earth, um, but we're also going to be able to go right to the throne room of God forever and ever and ever. It'll be an amazing thing. You know, uh, one, of the, some of the, one of the families that was on vacation uh, went to Disneyland. They were talking about the lines and all the good rides. The lines were just so long. You know, I often think, you know, to go to the New Jerusalem where Jesus is, is ruling and reigning forever and ever. I mean, I can imagine the line that's going to be there. Now, we're going to be in spirit bodies. Of course, that's not going to be an issue. But that's the idea. The idea is that, that it's going to be beyond our wildest dreams. And it will be absolutely stunning. And, um, you know, again, we're going to know everything in heaven. And yet we're going to be learning continually in heaven. Um, I don't know how you reconcile those two things, but I just imagine watching for those of us waiting for the new earth. Um, you know, the first earth is going to be destroyed by heat, um, and we see the new earth transformed, and then we see uh, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Uh, my, the picture in my mind, Cindy, is just all of us with our jaws on the ground, stunned by the beauty and the magnificence of that gift from God. Thank you very, very much. Marcio asks, Pastor, will we be rich in heaven? Uh, we'll be rich beyond 
our beliefs. Not the way you're thinking, Rich, though, Marcia. Not that at all. You know, uh, uh, mansions in heaven, it doesn't refer to buildings. We're talking about our bodies, and the comparison's important. Um, uh, now we live in these old tents, and our new bodies will be like a mansion compared to a, a slum dwelling. Um, so we will be rich because we'll be with the Lord. We'll be rich because we'll never have need of anything. We'll be rich because there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow. There'll be no more injustice. Thank God there'll be no more politics or elections. Can I just take a second and say this? Please, Christians, don't get caught up. Don't get in your flesh. Don't lose your your faith and compromise your witness by arguing with people about politics. That's not our job either. But Marcia, if you're at a church where they're teaching you that God wants you to be rich and he's got gold streets for you and a a cul-de-sac and with a beautiful mansion, that's just heresy. It's bad, bad teaching. Uh, It's false hope. And I say often that the only thing worse than no hope at all is false hope. And so uh, we will be rich beyond our ability to understand in heaven. But it has nothing to do with the way we view being rich or material wealth here at all. Marsha, when I get a question like that, I'm always concerned about the type of church that you're coming from and what you're listening to. If you're in one of the faith or prosperity churches, it is neither faith nor will it end up with prosperity for anybody except the pastor of the church. So, um, yeah, we'll be rich in heaven, just not the way that you think. Timothy says, Pastor Ron, how can I respond to a Catholic friend who says that asking Mary for help in prayer makes sense because Jesus would always do what his mother says. Um, Timothy, that's one of the most sophomoric arguments, and I know Catholics make that argument all the time. It is an argument without any foundation, without any substance at all. One needs only to go to Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 2 and, and read her own words. Mary identifies herself as a sinner, she, she calls her son her Lord, not her son. Um, she knows she's a sinner, saved by grace. And the idea that, that we've got to beg Jesus' mother to do something because Jesus isn't inclined to do it uh, demonstrates that we know nothing at all about the character of God. So just tell him it's biblically an affront to God. It would be humiliating to Mary for people take that position. And uh, the truth is that um, Jesus is in heaven nothing more than Mary's Lord and Savior. Are there great rewards for her in heaven? Absolutely. Was she a faith giant and a hero, heroine, I should say? Absolutely. Um, But her role as his mother bears no fruit at all through prayer or in heaven. And in fact, you're demonstrating a lack of faith, Timothy. That's what you can tell your friend. You're demonstrating a lack of faith in not only the person and the character of Jesus Christ, but in what he's done for you on the cross at Calvary. And just to sum that, 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 that question or that argument um, makes no sense at all. And typically, Timothy, they know then it makes no sense at all. And yet it's just one of those Catholic traditions that persists over and over and over. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Anonymous says, I suffer from same-sex attraction. Will God forgive me if I occasionally give in? The answer is no. I mean, he'll forgive you uh, if you sincerely, genuinely repent. Confession means that not, okay, God, I did this. No, confession means to agree with God that what you're doing is sin, and then you got to say, I'm going to stop. You know, if you suffer from same-sex attraction, you chose the right word, suffering. It is a burden that you're going to have to carry. But, But Anonymous, you have to make the decision now, whether you're not going to give in. Make the decision now. You know, if you're going to sin, 
um, just tell Jesus goodbye and sin and, and get whatever pleasure that gives you in your flesh and, uh, you know, don't worry about condemnation or anything else. Just just go for it. Um, but if you love Jesus, you know you're breaking his heart. So what you're going to do is you say, Lord, help me to deal with this temptation. Oh, by the way, he's already promised delivery from that temptation. You can read 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. You can read Romans uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Actually, at the end of chapter 3 uh, through uh, through chapter 7. Um, and, and all the information you need there is to combat it. But Anonymous, if I'm reading the question right, you're saying, you know, this is my burden to bear. So if I give in occasionally, well, that's okay with God. It is not okay with God. It's simply not okay with God. Now, if you told me that you are are a person who is heterosexual and, you know, you resist temptation as much as you can, but sometimes you just can't help it and you give in, I would answer exactly the same way. Sex outside of marriage to somebody of a different gender. Man married to woman, a woman married to man. Any other sex is sin. And we're told that we're to run from sexual immorality. Paul says that we're to make no provision for the flesh. So, Anonymous, what you need to do is decide who you are. And you will now know, after this question, you will now know that when you give in, that's sin against God. What shall we say then, Paul writes to the Church of Rome, because of grace shall we keep on sinning, sinning. God forbid, he says, by no means in the NIV. So if you're trying to build in a little buffer, you know, well, if I occasionally give in, it's okay. Um, you, you don't have that permission, not from me, not from the Bible. Um, what you need to do is live a celibate life and please the Lord that way. Paul says, in first, Second Corinthians chapter 12, Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient. Whatever it is you're dealing with, his grace is enough for you. And he will still make your life rich and full and abundant. It just won't be with sex. Tough burden. It's a, it's a difficult road to walk. But it's one, as a Christian, we've made the commitment to walk. And there's no excuse ever, no excuse ever for giving in. Here's a question from Gary. How would I answer a friend who says he looked for God but didn't find him? Well, Gary, first of all, it's not he didn't honestly look for God. Jesus said, uh, if, if, if you search for me or if you seek me, I will be found by you. So we need to know that. You need to know what the Bible says. So just tell him, no, you didn't. And then say, you know, explain to me, what do you mean by that? Well, I ask God to do this or ask God to show me a sign or ask God. That's not a faith at all. That's not looking for God. That's trying to command God to do what we want him to do. So here's what you tell him. Just be very direct and love, but be very direct. The Bible promises that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that if you seek him, he will be found by you. And so what you've done is you haven't really sought him at all. You've got to come to him at the end of yourself. You've got to come to him on his terms. He's holy. He's just. We can't just come to him and continue to live any way we want to live and expect that God is just going to show up like a, a genie out of a magic lamp. So just tell him the truth. If you really want to find God, you'll find him. Give him a Bible and tell him to read the Gospel of John and tell him to look for Jesus. But everybody who wants to be found is going to find Jesus who will find them. So, Gary, I hope that makes sense to you. Jesus, I almost said Jesus. Jesus says, How can I prove to Jehovah's Witness that Jesus was raised in a physical body and not just in a spirit body. Um, Jesus, it's pretty simple. Jesus uh, went out of his way to prove it. 
Um, it's the same thing in the Bible they use. Now, they change um, um, some things, especially articles, um, to suit their messed up doctrine. But but even in their Bibles, it says that uh, when Jesus appeared to Thomas, um, he showed him his scars and said, touch and feel. He ate with them. Spirits don't eat. Jesus ate. He was in a physical body with them. On the road to Emmaus, um, he broke bread with the Emmaus Road disciples. So over and over and over, there's the, the, the biblical witness that Jesus was raised in a physical body and people could see it, they could touch it. What does John say? The one that we have seen and touched and felt. Uh, you can't feel or touch a spirit. And um, the truth is, Jesus, unfortunately, that most Jehovah's Witnesses don't want to be confused with the facts. They've been indoctrinated into believing um, whatever the Watchtower tells them to believe. And uh, all you can do is give them the information and then pray for them. Jehovah's Witnesses are miserable people. And I don't mean miserable to other people. I mean, they're just miserable themselves because they don't have any hope. They're knocking on doors. They're, they're, they're doing things to try to earn favor with God. But there's a Jehovah's Witness in the world that can tell you that he or she has any assurance of salvation at all. And it's because what they believe isn't true. It's because their Jesus, the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness religion, is not the Jesus of the Bible. Their Jesus is Michael the Archangel, and um, um, he's not God. And, um, you know, their problem is certainly um, more severe than just incorrect doctrine. Um, they've got completely the wrong Jesus. I think we've got time for maybe um, two more. Richie says, Pastor Ron, why did Paul agree to abstain from meat with blood in it in Acts chapter 15? You know, uh, in Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem, we just studied it a few weeks ago. Um, Richie, and um, it, it was the issue of, of, about legalism. Does one have to be a Jew, um, uh, or, or does a Christian have to become Jewish? Do we have to be circumcised and worship on the Sabbath and, and celebrate the festivals, um, eat according to Jewish dietary laws, kosher diets? And, and Paul's saying no. And, and in the Council of Jerusalem, they attack the, 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 the moral sins, sexual immorality. But the other things that they agreed to were just telling the, the Jew or telling the, the Gentiles to be sensitive to Christians. Um, Jews would not eat meat with blood in it. So when you're with them, don't eat meat with blood in it. Um, James, James says, for the, the Moses read every Sabbath day in the synagogue. And, and when they gather, and, and when if Gentiles were there, and in many cases there were mixed crowds, um, you know, don't offend your host. Don't offend your guest. Uh, basically saying what Paul says in the book of Romans, they're weak Christians. Um, legalists always are the weaker, the more immature in the faith. So don't do anything um, that is insensitive to them, anything that would offend them and keep them from the Lord. So these aren't moral sins. These are just be sensitive to the Jewish sensitivity or the Jewish mindset. You know, Richie, it would be almost like if um, uh, you went to an AA meeting uh, and, and you've never had a problem with, with any type of alcohol, but you went to an AA meeting and then invited all the men or the women that were in the AA meeting with you to, let's go out and have a drink together. Um, you know, that would be a sin. We need to be sensitive to people and meet them where they are. Hope that helps. Last question of the day. Uh, Stephen wants to know, what does it mean when someone refers to a hyper-charismatic church? Stephen, what they mean when they talk about that is they're they're referring to a church that's out of control, where the gifts of the Spirit are being counterfeited. I, I, I can't really even say that they're being exercised. They're being counterfeited. And they're being counterfeited. It's not really the Holy Spirit. It's just, um, just uh, all being done in the flesh. Um, and it's out of control. You'll see people flopping around on the floor. You'll see people knocked over. They'll call it slain in the spirit. And, of course, that's not a real thing at all. That's that's uh, an out-of-control church. 
um, people will stand up and speak for the God. Thus saith the Lord, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, and people really get hurt in those churches. Um, you know, they get goosebumps, they have an experience, but then they walk out completely ill-equipped to deal with the world that uh, that we live in. Um, they, they leave ill-equipped to deal with the holy God who demands that we walk in holiness. And so a hyper-charismatic church is one that's out of order. If you've been in any churches, Stephen, where... Um, people are speaking all in tongues all at the same time. That is an out-of-order church. When somebody will stand up and uh, interrupt even the teaching of the word with a, with a thus saith the Lord, or, or when there's people that claim to be prophets uh, speaking for God, those are out-of-order churches. They're hyper-charismatic churches. Uh, and, and all of the, the activity, all of it, in a church like that is not the Holy Spirit at all. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate the question. Hey, we got through another week. Thank you for tuning in. May the Lord bless you and keep you when you go to church uh, on Sunday. Um, find somebody who looks like they're hurting. Say, God, how can I encourage him? And be a tool that God can use. It'll change your church experience. God bless you. I'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.